Welcome and thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check from Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center. I'm your host, Melissa Whitfield. We want you to get healthy and stay healthy with help from evidence-based advice from our physicians, healthcare providers, and researchers. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, at least one in seven children have experienced child abuse or neglect in the past year in the United States. Our guest, pediatrician Dr. Patty Patterson, is a professor of pediatrics, public health, and medical education, and she is the director of child abuse pediatrics at TTUHSC. Dr. Patterson has been recognized for her contributions in pediatrics and public health and for her dedication to the health and welfare of the children of Texas. She shares with us how we can recognize child abuse and what we can do to prevent child abuse, the long-term effects child abuse has on children, and what resources are available to caregivers and to children. Dr. Patterson, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your expertise, and what you do here at the Health Sciences Center? Yeah, I'm a pediatrician here. I've been at the Health Sciences Center since 2000. It's been here a long time. I am the only board-certified child abuse pediatrician in West Texas and eastern New Mexico. So I, I do general pediatrics, some with the pediatrics department, but most of my time is spent in the, in the child abuse world. Well, thank you again for coming on our podcast. Can you tell us how common is child abuse? Is it is it always violent? It's hard to just talk about child abuse as a big thing. There's so many different types of it. And the most common type is neglect. It can be supervisional neglect, that parents are not available or incapacitated or you know, kids are active and they get into things. So supervisional neglect is the most common. You can also have other types of neglect, like physical neglect, when children aren't being fed properly, educational neglect, or medical and dental neglect, where children aren't getting the appropriate care that they need. And it's within the parent's resources to be able to do that. Neglect cannot be just because of poverty. If people are offered the resources and still don't access those, then it could become a neglect issue. So neglect is, is one component of it. Then the other side is abuse. And there's multiple types of abuse. Probably the one we hear the most about and the one I work with the most is physical abuse. Uh, there's also sexual abuse, emotional and verbal abuse, which is pretty hard to nail down and define, but it's extremely harmful to children. Uh, verbal abuse can be even more harmful in the long term than physical abuse. What are some myths about child abuse and neglect? I think the probably the big one is the stranger danger thing. It's not strangers. Most of the time, like over 80% of the time, it's a parent. It's almost always a parent, somebody known to the child, a family friend or something can be a babysitter. So it's, I think the big myth is the stranger aspect of it. You mentioned that there were some long-term effects. What are some long or short-term effects of child abuse and neglect? There is a 
huge body of literature about this now. It's called the Adverse Child Experiences Study. It's available on the CDC website. Just Google CDC Adverse Childhood Experiences, and there's uh, just a wealth of information there. Things we know that children who experience ongoing abuse, not just a one-time thing, but ongoing adversity, adverse childhood experiences, are at risk for increased all-cause mortality. It decreases your actual lifespan to, be, to grow up in that situation. And numerous different diseases are known to be higher in people who experienced adverse childhood experiences, abuse and neglect, as little kids, as children. And that's all kinds of, of abuse. There's also a very strong correlation between mental illness and abuse and neglect in childhood. Depression rates are 5, 10, 20 times higher in people who are abused as, as small children. Suicidality, much, much higher in people who are abused as children. It's not a destiny, but it is a risk for people who are abused as children. Not only depression and suicidality, but substance abuse, for example, alcoholism, much, much higher. So those risks are much greater. And I, I think this is a good way to look at it uh, by the authors of this, these, some of these studies, that what we in medicine might have been considering the health problem, the alcoholism, the obesity, the depression, may in fact not be the problem to that patient the alcohol or the food might in fact be that patient's self-medication for things that happened in their childhood. Did the COVID-19 pandemic impact the prevalence of child abuse? It's really interesting. When the pandemic first started, I saw a lot of very severe abusive head trauma, but over time, it seemed to be less. There's been a few studies now out of different places around the country and even in internationally where the rates actually were decreased. Now, how much of that is real and how much of that is, for example, CPS not being able to go into homes and actively investigate? So there may be some systems issues where things weren't reported so much. And I know, for example, that schools can be a frequent reporter of abuse. If the children are at home and isolated, not being seen, then the reports are going to go down. And I think that's some of what we did see. Can you share with us what are some warning signs of abuse and neglect? I think there's a, a couple of, of things to think about. One is risk factors, and there's two that uh, I see all the time that put the child at risk. Domestic violence in that household and substance abuse in that household. Those are very, very common in abused and neglected children. There's also things that you can just look for. Sometimes there's behavioral differences. The, the children may start acting differently. If teachers are seeing multiple bruises, they might, might start to get worried. Pattern kinds of bruises we worry about. Or if, even if, the, if you know the people well, know a, a, that there's just a really high stress level in that family. Those, those may be all indicators that the children are at greater risk. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month, but we should be aware of it all year. But some people might not want to interfere in someone's family or they feel like it's not their business because they don't have children at home or 
interact with children on a daily basis. What can they do to help stop child abuse? Well, I'd say one is to advocate for, there are some good prevention programs. The Family Nurse Partnership is one of those to advocate for those to be funded. Another great one would be if we, we desperately need more people to be foster parents. That allows the children to be safe and the parents can work with Children's Protective Services, work their services. And the goal of that is for the family to be reunified. We always say, see something, say something. And that's probably for numerous different programs. But if you're concerned, a report to, to CPI, Child's Protective Investigation, they just changed their name, is warranted. And there are th- some, some red flags, okay? One is any bruising on the face, any bruising on the ears, any bruising at all in an infant under four months of age. Your increased risk in any kid under four years of age. That's physical abuse is most common in the smallest children. So those are all, from a physical abuse standpoint, warning signs that we would look for. What resources are available for children and parents or caregivers who recognize that they're hurting their children? There are some programs, the Parenting Cottage, some other prevention programs around the social workers and pediatricians should have access to some of those. You know, and often we'll see people that bring their child to the emergency room and they may not tell us straight out that that's what's going on, but kind of hoping we'll figure it out because the vast majority of people want to do the best for the children. Do you have any tips for parents or caregivers who feel frustrated or angry so that they don't take it out on their children? Sure. One is just recognize that crying is normal. Babies cry. That's what they do. They cry. It, but it can be very, very frustrating. And after you've done all you can do, it's okay if, to put them down in a safe place on, on their back in their crib and step away. Don't, you know drive off to Dallas or something, but to be available, but to step away. I would also recommend that people have somebody to call, you know, for example, a grandparent to call your partner, call them so that, you know, dad, it's your turn. You come home and help me with this kid. And it's, it's normal to be frustrated, but you've got to take care of yourself. And that may just mean stepping away. Do you have any tips for for the neglect part of it? Sometimes I think what I see in neglect is often it's lack of education, lack of understanding about normal development of a child or nutritional needs of a child. It may be that a family's just stressed out. So there are lots of resources in town, and social workers can help with that to help you get connected to things. There are people who want to help. And it's just, it's helping people access the resources. Thanks for listening to Texas Tech Health Check. Make sure to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to podcasts so you won't miss the next episode. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Always seek immediate medical advice from your physician or your healthcare provider for questions regarding your health or medical condition. Texas Tech Health Check is brought to you by Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center and produced by Tierra Castillo, Susanna Cisneros, and me, Melissa Whitfield. <laughs>